from exposure to radiation. So that limit is one half of the known risk, and then our employees get an order of magnitude less than that. And so we run a really good, clean, safe ship. That's our concern uh, with uh, radiologic, and it's manageable. Welcome to the Next Level Income Show, where it's our goal to take your income, your investments, and your life to the next level. I'm your host, Chris Larson. If you haven't yet, get a copy of our book for free at our website, nextlevelincome.com. That's www.nextlevelincome.com. Just click on the book link, and I'll even send you a copy if you put your address in. On today's show, we have John Cash. John is the president and CEO of UR Energy, a uranium mining company that has produced and packaged approximately 3 million pounds of uranium with the lowest uranium production costs in the United States. He joined UR Energy in 2007 and has led the permitting and licensure of the company's Lost Creek and Shirley Basin uranium mines, which can produce up to 2.2 million pounds of yellow cake annually. John was also a member of the team that managed UR Energy's 2008 New York Stock Exchange listing. He's nearly 30 years of experience in uranium exploration, radiation safety, regulatory and legislative affairs, uranium recovery operations, international trade, as well as extensive management experience. Before joining UR Energy, he worked for established uranium mining companies, including BHP, Rio Alga Mining, and Crow Butte Resources, subsidiary of Cameco. And we're going to have a great conversation today with John. If you are interested in learning about the state of nuclear power today, stay tuned. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. It's good to be on. Yeah, it's great to have you. And you know, we, we were chatting before the show. It's you know, we, we booked you here a couple months back, and it just seems like you know the, the timing has been fortuitous as as things kind of evolve here um, in the in the energy sector specifically, and we're going to get into get get into that. Um, but I, I would love for you to share a little bit about your your background with the audience, John, and um, specifically with UR Energy and and uh, the company background as well. Yeah, no, thanks, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm just a uh, hillbilly from the Ozarks of Missouri. I uh, grew up down there on a farm and uh, had a great opportunity to go to school. Uh, then it was called the University of Missouri at Rolla. It's an engineering and mining school that was only about an hour from my home. Uh, so very fortunate to be able to go to school there. Uh, got into geology, uh, got my master's degree there as well. And even when I was in college, I had an opportunity to start working for some of the majors uh, doing uh, uranium exploration and uh, just evolved from there. So I worked for a number of uh, big companies uh, with uranium production, got into regulatory affairs, uh, ran the, some mines. And uh, back, it's been oh, a little over 17 years ago now, I came to UR Energy here in Wyoming. I've been with them ever since. And uh, it's uh, been about a year and a half, two years ago now, uh, was able to fill the CEO position. So I've worked my entire career in the uranium space. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's it's treated me well. So I guess I can't complain. And it's it's been a lot of fun. Wonderful. No, and um, it seems like seems like you know you've you have you have a great great very background in the space. Um, but you know, looking back, you know. I've talked to people about power. We do, you know, we've, we've had guests on the show talking about oil and gas. And I was just reading a report yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, U.S. is number one in the world for mm -hmm. oil and gas production, which yeah. I don't know a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people realize that, um, even with some of the the restrictions that have, that have occurred here um, recently. But one of the things that I was reading about in, in the past year was that our, our current nuclear power plants on average, are what about sixty years old? Is that is that about right? Yeah, I mean they're they're getting uh, pretty aged, and for yeah. a while the plans were to slowly shut them down 
over time. Yeah. Uh, because natural gas was so cheap and yeah. they were having trouble competing with natural gas, but that's changed for a while. And plus uh, the utilities, nuclear utilities were really not getting much government support. And that changed as well with the inflation reduction. Act. So the economics have changed uh, just from fundamentals, but also from yeah. government support. And now it looks like all of our 94 reactors in the U.S. stay up and running. And in fact, they're looking at bringing some that have been shut down back online. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the story uh, for nu nuclear power has changed dramatically over the last six to 12 months. It's uh, an exciting time. Yeah, it certainly is. And we were we were talking just before you know, the show was recorded. Um, France changed direction, too. They were talking. You know, there's look, there's been I'm, I'm going to for listeners of the show, they know I, I'm I'm a huge uh, fan of the environment. I love riding my bike. We live in Asheville, North Carolina. My my boys and I are always out in the woods. You know, I'm, I'm usually taking calls on a walk through the woods in my backyard with my dog. Um, but the, the reality is we need energy as as a country. We need energy as a society. We need we need cheap energy. That's how, you know, people are able to improve their lot in life. And one of the statistics that I always love to point out is, is the richer a country is, the more concerned they are with the environment. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, countries like France that have been so focused on quote unquote renewables, which we would define as um, like wind, solar, those sorts of things have, have started to kind of lower in favor as some of the economics have, have come to show that those aren't quite as cheap as they were, or maybe as the subsidies, right. you know, get pulled back. So France just announced not too long ago here that they're going to make a big push into, I guess, what you call it refreshing their nuclear yeah. um, plant technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Please go ahead. Yeah, no, and that's right. And, you know, you take a look at Germany uh, nearby there, yeah. they yeah. Uh, made a hard push into renewables. Yeah. And now that they're incredibly expensive, they're not very reliable. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not opposed to renewables at all, but we yeah. just have to be honest with the conversation. They're not the end all. And right. uh, they shut down their nuclear power plants. And now their emissions are actually higher than they were before. Yeah. And uh, it's expensive, more emissions. And so, I, you know, I think they made the wrong decision. France has seen that and they're doing the opposite. They're going to keep those reactors up and running. And as you mentioned, it looks like they may be building 14 more reactors here in the coming years. So um, yeah. that's a common story throughout Europe right now. A lot of countries moving more and more toward nuclear power. That's awesome. Um, and the reason I say that, because and, and please, I'd love to get your opinion on this just with your background and your and your grasp. But, you know, we, we've had solar panels on our house. We actually just moved here into a new house. So we don't have we don't have solar panels up on this one. Um, but but solar and wind can be very cyclical in nature. And if we don't have the battery technology, we can't store energy for those off cycle times. And, you know, from, again, my research, you know, when people are heating their homes or cooling their homes or charging their EVs or doing laundry, those typically tend to be times when there may not be a lot of sun or a lot of wind. So if we have something like um, whether it's natural gas powered plants or nuclear power to kind of provide that steady base and then have these other renewable options that can come in and, and support, you know, other times that, that seems to me to be an ideal solution. Am, am I off base or is that, is that about? No, right? I know. I, I think you're spot on. That's certainly one of the strengths of nuclear power is it can provide that base load and it's yeah. carbon free. It's not like we're sacrificing the carbon free yeah. attributes of it. It yeah. is carbon free. And when we talk about the cost, if you amateurize the, uh, those expensive plant build out, so they are very expensive. 
But if you amateurize that over 60, maybe 80 years, all of a sudden the costs are looking very, very good because the operational costs are are relatively low uh, when it comes to nuclear power plants. Base load on 24-7-365. And uh, that's a great support for uh, the rules. So what is, what's the cost to build a new, like your average size plant today? Yeah. You know, I don't have uh, real fresh numbers. Southern yeah. company down in Georgia, uh, they just finished up uh, building Vogel 3. They're mm-hmm. working on Vogel 4. They've had a number of cost overruns on that. Uh, that's really a reflection of we've not been building plants in the U.S. Yeah. So we got to relearn and rebuild mm-hmm. that expertise here in the U.S. Uh, it's a reflection of some of the regulatory regime the industry, of course, needs to be heavily regulated and carefully regulated. Yeah. But at the same time, we need to figure out how to do it more efficiently and effectively. So a lot of room for improvement there. The industry is looking at moving more away from the conventional large reactors to the small modular reactors. Yeah. One of the reasons they want to do that is they want to be able to build nuclear reactors, essentially like Ford built small T's. One right after the other, every one of them is exactly the same and try to drive the cost down by building them on a factory floor instead of building them at a site. So that is in process. There are a number of uh, big companies involved there, some big names. Uh, Bill Gates is a primary example. He's looking at building out a, a power plant here in Wyoming, of all places. Wow. And so his company is called Terra Power. He's got Board from uh, Buffett and his co- his uh, Pacific Core uh, utility, and so if anybody can be successful at building that out, I think they've got the right state, they've got the right <laughs> backers, they've got the right technology. So we'll see how that comes along. But again, the whole objective there is to drive down the cost of the installation. Of course, the first one's going to be expensive. It's no different than anything else. But I believe as they begin to ramp up production of those. And throughout the country, there are projections that there could be maybe as many as 300 small modular reactors in the U.S. by 2050. And if they're able to do that, they should be able to drive down the cost dramatically and compete with anything. So let's let's back up just a second here, John. So most most of the uh, power plants, nuclear power plants in the country today were built in like 60s, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, 70s into the 80s. Yeah, 60s, 70s, yeah they're 80s. older. Okay. Um, and... You know, I, I find it interesting because when we, we look at statistics and different things, uh, I ask people like, well, what if you were driving a car from, you know, 1970, you know, would you be as comfortable today with the safety aspect as you are driving like a, a Tesla, like a, like a Model S? And, um, you know, as I look through the technology, these these small modular reactors or SMRs, as sometimes you see them referred to, um, this is like state-of-the-art technology. And just to give listeners an idea, I think most of us know how large um, you know, one of these like mega plants is. And I know the cost to build these is in the billions of dollars. Um, about how big, like what does a small modular reactor look like? And how does the power output compare to a, yeah. a larger power plant? So there are a number of companies involved here. Yeah. All are looking at different technologies. Many of yeah. those technologies developed in the 1960s, 1970s. So hmm. a lot of the technology uh, in and of itself is not new. The safety okay. features are. But as far as the acreage or the footprint that they would cover, yeah. it's dramatically smaller. We're looking at maybe a 10, 20, 30 acre that the plant would cover. Mm-hmm. The outputs vary as well. 
you have the micro reactors that may be uh, 10 to 30 megawatts. You got the small modular reactors that may be 300 megawatts. So maybe one third the size okay. of a large uh, coal-fired power plant or nuclear power plant. So gotcha. a lot of spectrum there uh, that can mm -hmm. be covered, but it, but it really the footprint will be dramatically smaller. On the safety side, a number of the companies are looking at things that are intrinsically safe. In other words, you can literally walk away, shut the power off. Mm -hmm. Everybody walks away and there's not a melt. It just automatically shuts down due to the physics of the reaction. And so the number of companies are looking at that uh, intrinsically safe. And so, yeah, you know, the industry has come a long ways. The technology has come a long ways. Having said that, uh, our large conventional reactors have an incredibly good safe record here in the yeah. U.S. That technology that was developed back in the 50s, 60s, 70s and implemented. Yeah, it's older technology, but the companies have done a great job of upgrading the safety features through the years. They're regulated by the federal government, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Mm -hmm. They've done a good job of saying, hey, we need to fix this. We need to fix that. Uh, the utilities work with each other uh, very carefully, even across companies. They work with each other. And if something goes wrong, they put out a report to all of their competitors and say, hey, we see this issue. This is how we've addressed it. We recommend you do the same thing. And so the safety record of our U.S. utilities, it's always been good but it's better and better all the time. Yeah, I was just reading a report around the world, nuclear power per, per um, watt produced is, is the safest. It um, is. And I, I forget the statistic. It was, it was way less than one, one death per year. Um, and I mean, even just to compare that, you have over a million deaths per year from indoor air pollution a year around the world. And I think a lot right. of people don't know the statistic, but that's, that comes from burning, you know, things like trash, dung, paper, wood right. inside. Mm -hmm. Um, now what, why, you know, I know, look, we've, we've had, you know, we've heard of Chernobyl and three mile Island and Fukushima. Um, you know, is, is that what deters people from nuclear energy? I know there's some geopolitics that we're going to get into yeah. as well, but from a safety perspective, it seems like it's one of these things that, you know, it's like a plane crash. Planes are safer than cars. I think everybody knows that, but it's scarier to think about right. something like that. Is that what it comes from? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, pretty typical human nature yeah. that if you don't really intimately understand something, yeah. you have a bit of a fear of it. And you know, your analogy with cars and planes, I think, is perfect. Uh, in a car, you understand it. You, you believe you're in control because you've got your hands on the steering yeah. wheel. But in a plane, you're not controlling it. You don't know what the pilot's doing. You don't know what the mechanics did. Uh, so I think there tends to be more fear there. But the reality is planes are dramatically more safe than cars. Yeah. And I think the same is true with nuclear power. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't understand the physics behind it. They see the horror stories from Chernobyl, which, by the way, the West does not build reactors like they did in Russia and Ukraine. Totally different. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Good people point. just, yeah. they don't understand it. So there's a, a bit of fear and intrepidation there of, um, yeah, do we really want this? And I think the other issue too is the waste disposal issue, which is not an issue. Um, it's been okay, tell us, what do you, Yeah. What do you mean it's not an issue? Because like we don't, for people that may not be familiar, like you don't want nuclear waste like sitting in your trash can, right? You don't want to be around it. For, for different things. But what do you mean it's not an issue? So if we used a nuclear power to generate 100% of your energy that you need for your lifetime, my mm -hmm. lifetime, 
mm-hmm. the waste that would be generated from that would fit in one soda can. That's the okay. quantity of waste each individual would generate. Okay. That waste can be stored safely. It could be stored safely at Yucca Mountain. The mm-hmm. risks at Yucca Mountain have been way overblown by uh, people who are anti-nuclear, who don't mm-hmm. understand groundwater, who don't understand the physics. And the general public doesn't understand that. And, and, sure. and that, yeah. understandably so. Yeah. So there's fear mongering, really, that mm-hmm. uh, really slowed down the development of nuclear power. Gotcha. You know, I, I worked at a uranium mine in Wyoming for a number of years that had a coal-fired power plant at our boundary. And we were required to measure uh, radioactive emissions from the mine. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, the emissions coming from the coal-fired power plant next door were dramatically higher than from the mine. Because when you burn coal, yeah. you're putting a lot of metals and other things, CO2, wow. radionuclides into the air. So we could really? see those emissions coming from coal-fired power plant. And that's so a radioactive you- emission. Radioactive from, emissions, wow. How you, about you that? thorium, uranium, uh, yeah. radon, all of that is generated yeah. uh, when coal is burned. You wow. know, in coal, when you burn coal, those emissions go into the air. They're not controlled. Yeah. Right. I've done a great job. I'm not anti-coal, yeah. but yeah. those emissions go into the air where yeah. there's a potential to do harm. The nuclear industry, we're totally different. We can tell where every bit of nuclear waste that has been generated throughout the history of the industry is located. It's all contained. It's not causing any harm. It's safe. But that's not the same with other industries, other uh, coal-fired fossil fuel industries. So it's a totally different uh, discussion between those. And I don't think people understand that. And and as an industry, we've got to do a better job of getting the story out there that nuclear power is safe. That's not just us as insiders saying that. Look at the numbers. Uh, They're compelling. Yeah, and that's the the report that I read here just just you know a few short weeks ago. It said it said exactly that. Um, can you turn the lights off? Do you glow in in the dark, John? You know, you're working. At your <laughs> Not, <room>. yet. Not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Oh, just just mess around. Um, I you know one of the things I read about the small modular reactors was that some of these can be built so small they they produce output for a period of time and then they literally they're they're in they're fully encased and then mm-hmm. that's it. They're they're basically inert yeah. at the end yeah. of that period. It seems like there's some really, really cool types of technology that are on the horizon, um, yeah. you know, over the next decade that we're going to see. Yeah, kind of a plug and play model. Yeah. And right now, uh, yeah. the Department of Defense is working on a reactor with a contractor. It's called Project Pele. And so repeat that one more time. We Project Pele. Project Pele. Yeah. And so it's funded by the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. Their objective is to build a small modular reactor. Actually, it's a micro, it's even smaller, that will okay. literally fit on the back of a truck and you deliver yes. it That's to seen. a military base. You set it in the ground, cover it up, plug and play, and it'll run for months or years. And when it's done, you dig it back up, can be disposed of safely or refurbished, and uh, but offers tremendous advantages. You've got power on site. You don't have to haul in jet fuel or diesel fuel to run a forward operating base. It's yep. all right there. Wow. Totally encapsulated. So yeah. it reduces the risk to our troops because they don't have to have that long fuel run to the port, mm. which is a yeah. uh, place where we often get attacked. Our troops get attacked is those fuel lines. 
And so if we eliminate those, we can have an independent operating base. So, I mean, that's a military application, but there are other applications. Uh, you look in the far north, uh, mine camps up in Alaska or Canada or remote villages uh, that need power. Or say, for an example, uh, an area gets hit by a hurricane. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, electricity is wiped out. Simply bring in a micro reactor, set it down, plug it in, plug and play. And your, awesome. your power system is back up. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. And, you know, my my cousin worked on a nuclear sub. I mean, it's I think that's the other thing. You know, I have these soldiers. I'm sorry, these military that are inside of a sub with a with a nuclear reactor in the back. And um, I think that kind of highlights some of the, you know, some of the uh, safety that, that mm -hmm. is uh, yeah. already out there. Um, so um, we, we touched on this a little bit here from a, from from a geopolitical perspective, John. Um, and this is, I'd like to kind of get into, you know, where you are energy, you know, fits into this. Um, you said the industry has to be highly regulated. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the concerns? I know we've, you know, people, when they heard, you know, yellow cake, um, mm -hmm. in the intro, they may say, oh, I remember when, when, when Colin Powell brought up yellow cake uranium, is this the same type of uranium, same type of fuel that could be used for nuclear weapons and those sorts of things? Today's show is sponsored by Money Insights and their Investment Optimizer Strategy. In my book, I share how I use the same strategy starting over a decade ago to invest my money in two places at one time. This strategy has been used by the wealthiest for generations for estate planning, minimizing taxes, preserving wealth, and increasing stability for their investments. Now you can do the same thing. In addition, you can build a plan to build an emergency fund, pay for college, fund a business, plan for retirement, and ultimately optimize your total financial picture. To find out more information, check us out at the banking link at nextlevelincome.com. Yeah, it might be useful if I talk a little bit about the processing of uranium before we get to nuclear fuel. There really are three major yeah. steps. There are some other minor steps, but the three major steps are mining. Okay. In my company, you are energy. We are a mining company. We produce yellow cake. Okay. It's a yellow powder and it looks like yellow mix. That's why that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, but our product then, it needs to be converted. Okay. That's a chemical process. There is one conversion facility here in the U.S. at Illinois. Uh, it's called Converdine. Okay. And there's only one. And uh, so it's been up and running for a little while. After they do a chemical conversion, then it needs to be enriched. Because natural yellow cake, it has a very low ratio of the isotope that we want. So it has to be enriched in the isotope that's desirable. So that is done here in the U.S. There's one commercial facility uh, owned by Urenco uh, down in New Mexico. Urenco actually is foreign owned. It's uh, a hmm. kind of a joint venture between England, the Netherlands, and the Germans. So three European governments own Urenco. Uh, but that's the only facility in the U.S. right now that is commercially producing uh, enriched okay. product. So those are the three steps. As far as a safety concern, the product we make, yellow cake, it is uranium. And uranium is barely radioactive. People don't appreciate that. Mm. Uh, but we can literally take a meter and put it on fresh yellow cake, and it's barely discernible uh, because the emissions off of it are alpha. They're very weak. Uh, but what we do is to protect our employees is we say, you got to keep it outside your body. Your skin is literally thick enough to block the radiation, the alpha radiation. But if you get it in your body, that's where it can do harm to your body. 
So good hygiene is really what we teach our employees. Mm. Keep dust levels down, keep things wetted, nothing from hand to mouth. So the regulatory- So you don't limit, want to inhale it or ingest right, it. Okay. Right, exactly. And if you keep it outside your body, uh, you know that's a big part of, of the safety and you've done a good job. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but it's interesting. The regulatory limit for exposure is 5,000 millirems per year. Don't worry about the units. It's just a unit of radiation. Yeah. It's I used 5, to work 000. in the OR. Yeah, it is, yeah it's 5,000. Like, yeah. Our employees who have the highest exposure levels are typically around 500 millirem. So an order of magnitude less than the limit. Yeah. That limit of 5,000 is actually one half of the limit that we see where we begin seeing cancer uh, from exposure to radiation. So that limit is one half of the known risk. And, and then our employees get a order of magnitude less than that. And so we run a really good, clean, safe ship. That's our concern uh, with the uh, radiologic and it's manageable. Uh, it has to be respected. Absolutely. It needs to be regulated, but it does not need to be feared. It, it absolutely can and has been managed. Interesting. Okay. So um, where, where does UR Energy fit in? You said you're a mining operation. Um, you know, kind of walk us through a little bit of, of where you fit into the whole spectrum, because we've talked about a lot of different pieces of, of nuclear yeah. energy and those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. Here in the United States, the uranium mining activity is mostly in the Mountain West, Wyoming, a little bit in Nebraska, Utah, uh, Texas, kind of that Mountain West region. But my company, and UR Energy... Is, and is that because that's where the uranium is? That's where it's at. Gotcha. There are some okay. exceptions to that. There's okay. a really nice deposit in Virginia hmm. uh, that uh, may get mined someday. There are some other examples, but most of the uranium is in the Mountain West. Gotcha. Uh, our project is called Lost Creek, and hmm. uh, it's here in Wyoming, and not far over my shoulder over here. It's about a two-hour drive away, uh, but we've been producing there since 2013. As the market has improved, we've made a decision to ramp up production, and we're in the process now of in improving that. And ultimately, we've got a second project that we're looking at bringing online called Shirley Basin. Um, we utilize a technique to recover uranium. It's called in situ. In situ is a Latin term. It means in place. So we don't actually have tunnels or open pits. What we do is we drill water wells into the ore body. We inject water, CO2, and oxygen into the ore body that dissolves it, much like you would dissolve sugar in your coffee. Hmm. And then we simply pump that solution to the surface, remove the uranium from it at a processing plant, and then re-inject the water back into the ground. It just keeps making the loop until wow. that ore body is recovered. So the really cool thing about it is, is our surface footprint is really small. Yeah. Uh, if you would go out to our mine right now, uh, today it's in snow, but in the summertime, it's covered in green grass. It's got antelope, yeah. deer, uh, rabbits out there in the mine, in the act mine. And when we get done mining, we will reclaim the surface. We will reclaim the groundwater and you will never know we were there. When we walk away, it'll be pristine uh, wildlife wow. habitat that's 100% returned back to nature. Wow. And that's, that's something I didn't know. And I think a lot that may surprise a lot of listeners today because, um, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's another piece of this puzzle. You know, if anybody's been to a coal mine, you know, as, as you know, a lot of people have seen here out on the East coast or, you know, oil and gas field and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, 
or geez, even um, like, uh, you know, some of the uh, minerals that they're using now for uh, like cobalt, lithium, those sorts of things. It's, uh, it's, it's like out of a, out of a uh, Mad Max movie with a lot of yeah. these, a lot of these things around the, around the world. Um, so um, what have you been seeing, John? I know you said it's been, we've seen a lot of progress here, you know, in, in the past few years with respect to uranium, a lot more demand. Um, what are you doing as a country, or I'm sorry, as a um, company to meet that demand? And, you know, you mentioned, you said we have one conversion facility and we have, you know, one foreign owned facility in New Mexico to enrich, you know, what, what can we do as a country? You know, we we started out early in the show talking about we're the number one oil and gas producer. What can we do to Im- improve our standing in terms yeah. of, you know, where we are in these areas? Well, we have the resources here in the U.S., Company is a good example of that. We've got good resources, some great companies here in the U.S. What we've run into in the years past is Russia. This this Mm. geopolitical issue. Uh, Russia has captured the global uranium market uh, because they use the same facilities to produce nuclear weapons, government-owned, as they do to produce nuclear fuel for utilities. Mm. So utilities around the world, including here in the U.S., happy to buy cheap material from Russia for years. And they've become dependent upon that supply. As a result of that Western enrichment, Western mining, all of that has been in a state of decay for many, many years. Hmm. What really happened that's changed here recently is the Russia invading Ukraine. And so when that happened, utilities around the world said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. They need to back away from this Russian supply. And so they are. Utilities around the world, especially in Europe, especially here in the U.S., are backing away from that. And the market prices have improved because of that. And we're able to sign up more and more long-term contracts. But the funny thing is, or not so funny, is we are still importing uranium from Russia. Hmm. Despite all of the other sanctions, despite all of the atrocities in Ukraine and everything that's going on there, we are still buying nuclear fuel from Russia. So Congress is now looking at cutting that off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the House has passed legislation to do that. The Senate considering legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have really good bipartisan support on this issue. You know, the Democrats and Republicans, they don't agree on hardly anything, but they do agree today. on this. <laughs> yeah, They do agree on this. And I think ultimately they will cut off that supply coming out yeah. of Russia. I think they're concerned that they want to make sure the Western world has the capacity to backfill that once it's interrupted. So I think that's the concern right now. Companies like mine, we are working to ensure that that happens as we ramp up production and some of our competitors as well. The conversion facility, the enricher, they are all looking at ramping up their capacity to produce more to offset that gap. So I think it's going to happen, but it's a matter of time. But we could use the public support on that. Yeah. All your congressmen, hey, let's quit importing material from Russia. Let's stop funding their government because that's a government entity that's doing that. That That's not a private company. Uh, that is the government that is uh, building that material. So yeah. if, if we could get that out of the way, I think we would be on some really good firm standing uh, in the West world and my company in particular going forward. So that's the one yeah. thing we're looking forward to, Chris, in 2024 is cutting off that Russian supply. Yeah. No, I think, like you said, I think there's still a lot of, a lot of people in the country now that can agree on that. 
Um, is it true that Nixon had a plan to to fully power the United States with nuclear power by the year 2000 and that was shut down? That whole plan, was that true? Yeah, so in the 70s, uh, I mean, the, the saying in the 60s and 70s was yeah. that uh, nuclear power will ultimately be so cheap that we won't even put meters on houses. Uh, that's a bit of an absurd statement, but that's what they were saying in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, but then Three Mile Island happened. Yeah. And okay. uh, we talked about the fear factor there. Um, yeah. I, was it appropriate to take a step back and take a breath and assess things? Absolutely. Uh, but I think fear kind of took over at that point. Uh, but yeah, we we had uh, great designs in the 60s and 70s to... Uh, power a significant portion of the U.S. with nuclear, and uh, it didn't come to pass. However, we'll see what happens here in the future. Uh, attitudes, hearts, and minds are changing. We're, we're getting more and more support for nuclear, uh, because mostly because of its carbon-free attributes, yeah. and the world wants to move in the direction, but yeah. also for energy security. Yeah. We're blessed in the U.S. with a lot of coal, natural gas, uh, so we're in great shape when it comes to that. But there are a lot of countries around the world that are not blessed with those fossil fuels. Uh, Japan's a great example yeah, of this. Yeah. Uh, when they shut down their reactors, they had to start importing massive quantities of, of uh, fossil fuels and burning those. That was incredibly expensive, terrible hard on their economy. So they are looking at building out nuclear now going forward, bringing those reactors back online and building more. Why? Well, it's carbon free, but just as importantly, economically, they really don't have a choice. That's yeah. the direction they have to go to be able to uh, support the energy needs of a, a uh, first world society. And yeah. so that's not unique to Japan. It's also true with a number of European nations that don't have access to oil and gas on their own. But by going to nuclear, they can have that in-house, have the power generator there. They can store many, many years worth of fuel easily and it gives them national security. So yeah, the world's going to continue to move in that direction. There's a lot of uncertainty right now, unfortunately, and, and nuclear is able to take away some of that uncertainty. Yeah. That's a great point. And we love to look at macro trends on the, on this show, on this podcast and, and allow investors and listeners to take advantage of those trends, you know, from a financial perspective. Um, if, if listeners want to learn more about UR Energy, John, what's the best way to, to check you guys out? Yeah, our website, great website. Uh, it's www.ur-energy.com. A lot of great information on our website. Perfect. We'll have that in the show notes. Um, anything else that listeners should you know, do or you would advise to keep up on the trends in, in the nuclear space or to look at you know, technologies, yeah. some of the things that we've talked about if they're interested in, in following these trends going forward? Yeah, just a couple of quick thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, my attorney would be happy to hear me say that there's always risk in investing. Do your homework. Uh, I make forward-looking statements, so do be aware of that. Uh, there is risk there with investing in any company. So uh, do your homework. But if you want to learn more beyond just our website, if you want to do a deep dive into the global geopolitics and the technology, there's a really good website that the uh, 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 World Nuclear Association, WNA, just do a search on Google for that. They've got a wonderful website with a tremendous library. Uh, you could read for days everything that's on that site. And so, yeah, if you want to do a deep dive, that's the first place I would recommend your listeners go to uh, to take a look. 
Wonderful. We will put that link in the show notes as well. I just pulled it up myself. I got it, got it here on my computer. Um, John, I've really enjoyed this conversation. You know, I would love to love to continue it here. Um, but hopefully, you know, listeners, you've you've been able to learn a little bit more um, about the nuclear space, about UR energy. It certainly opened my eyes into some different things. And John, we certainly appreciate your time and taking the time to share it with our listeners today. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's been fun. Thank you. Hey, Chris here again. I hope you found this episode valuable. Now I have one more thing to gift you. We have a page for my coaching clients where you can get a free copy of my book, as well as much more from previous guests on the show. Just check out nextlevelincome.com slash coaching to get a free copy of my book, audiobook, and much more. I'll send you a copy of my book and cover all the shipping costs as a thank you for listening to the podcast. Also, please like, share, and take just 90 seconds to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts.